Sometimes all that we have is, is a hallelujah. It's the only words that um, seem adequate to express our gratitude to you. Just, I don't know, I, I can muster up all of these thoughts and all of these words and, and all of all these things that I bring to the table, Lord, but I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed by your grace and your compassion and your mercy and your love for your people. And so, Lord, we rest in that this morning in gratitude, trusting you, leaning into you, resting in you. We just pray that you would be in our presence this morning. We know you are, but we pray that we would feel it deeply, that we would know you deeply, that your spirit would minister to our souls this morning. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. You can go ahead and have a seat. Well, welcome to church. How are we doing? Amen. Good. Awesome. Man, what a, what a fun weekend. Uh, how many of you were here for the Resilient Conference? Yeah? It was incredible, right? Man, what a gift uh, to our community. We really thank the Response Care Center and the folks here at Grace Spring that helped put that on. Uh, Dr. Brooks Gibbs was just just awesome, and uh, man, it was just just a really cool, um, really cool resource for our community. So really grateful to be a part of that. And then, like, dude, these youth were incredible, right? Like, I I'm not saying that just to like puff their heads up or anything, but like I I got here this morning and was listening to rehearsal and was just like, wow, like. The Lord is really using these teenagers. Um, and like kind of a cool thing, um, and, and I'll in, invite her up in just a minute, but I was working in my office uh, this last week, or the week before that. It was, uh, time flies, you know, right? And um, just sitting there, just typing away, working on some different projects, and I heard a couple of the youth, one of them was just singing this song, and they were just talking about the authenticity of, of what the Lord's been teaching them and, and their heart and just really cool stories of, of excitement of um, like literally our, our teenagers seeing their friends come to know Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit just working in their hearts and, and giving them an excitement for his word. Um, and so I, I think there's kind of this theme that's happening of, of just, man, you see like the excellence in musicianship and the, the excellence in uh, serving across the board. Like our, our youth are you know, serving in the kids' wing and serving in, in the coffee shop and serving in, in the welcome teams. And, and I love that about this church. Like, we are, we're such an awesome multi-generational church. And I, I just so appreciate that. And, and that's, that's you guys, too. I mean, that, that's your heart to let, let youth step up and, and serve and, and do the same things that the big people get to do, right? So as, as a previous youth pastor, it just, like, really warms my heart to see this, you know? So, yeah, sorry, that was, that was free. That's a little aside, but good, good job, youth. Good job, Jacob. Good job, Alyssa. Um, we're proud of you guys. Uh, my name's Kenneth Price. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm, I'm excited to open up God's Word with us this morning. We're in, the, in our series uh, uh, on emotionally healthy spirituality. This book, um, if you haven't read it, it, it's a book that changed my life. Like, I tell people, like, aside from the Bible, emotionally healthy spirituality is, like, the book that has done more to help me understand Jesus and others than any other book. And so um, it's high praise. If, if you read it and didn't like it, cool. We can still be friends. Um, you're wrong, but we can still be friends. <laughs> Kidding. Um, <clears throat> so I'm excited to dig in this morning into 
this topic of, of living our true selves. And I don't know if you're familiar with this phrase. I think it was uh, William Shakespeare that, that coined this in Hamlet. Um, Polonius says, to thine own self be true. You ever hear that phrase before? I was like thinking about this, like, it, like I was drifting off to, to sleep last night and th- this phrase kept on like going through my head, to thine own self be true. And man, like what garbage advice. I'd be like really honest. And some of you are like, well, yeah, you want to be true to yourself. But, but I, I don't know, like I, the more and more I think about it, like myself in and of myself without any like exterior pushes from, from Jesus or from, from the father, like that's garbage advice. Right? To my own self be true, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch TV and neglect my children and, right? Like, I'm going to spend all of my money on stupid stuff. Yeah? That's what my own self wants to do. Right? Eat all the good foods. Lavish my life away. It'll be great. But there's this other quote that, that has been, like, prickling at my heart. It's this guy, G.K. Chesterton. He's just a really smart guy. And, and this quote, like, I, I heard it a couple times recently, it just kept on coming up. It was like, the Lord must be trying to tell me something. But he said that the, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's not been tried and found wanting. It's, it's been found difficult and left untried. Sorry, I didn't put it on the screen. This was like bonus thoughts, you know. Um, and so there's, there's, there's these two worlds at play here, okay? And this is, before we even, like, get into the brass tacks of this stuff, what I, what I really want to address is, like, we, we live in a society that, that is full of project self. Uh, there's this concept, I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's called moral therapeutic deism. And this, this idea, like, it's, it's a great title, right? It's a mouthful. A bunch of $20 words just crammed together. But really, it's this idea that, that I'm going to do me, you do you, don't step on me. If, if I'm a generally good person, then I'm going to please God. And like, also, what garbage? And so, like, I, I've been feeling so convicted as, as we're coming into this, this message today to, to really look at the heart of, of what it looks like to, to truly intermingle ourselves with God so much that, that project self gets left behind and, and that we, we truly see all of the world through the filter of Jesus. And this is hard stuff. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I mean, like John told, I mean, uh, Jesus told his disciples and John, he, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And so, like, there's a lot of us. I, we've got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of hardships. There's a lot of difficulties. But, but I believe that, that, that God has wired us. He, he, he's looked at, I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago, like, in the Garden of Eden. He, he formed man out of the dust, created him in his own image. And, and he's wired each and every one of us to be who we are in light of him. And until we're in that space where we're crucifying ourselves, denying our flesh, taking up the cross and following after him, then, then what happens, there's a part of us that is always incomplete, and there's a part of us that that self will always look stupid. We'll always be chasing after the wrong things. We'll always have this conflict of, of good and evil inside of ourselves. We'll always uh, go back to the things that, that seem appealing instead of what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And so if, if you've been feeling that conflict, then welcome. This is, it's a great, great morning for you to be here. Because we're going to dig deeply into some of this, this stuff about like ourselves. 
I think sometimes, like, the hard work of, like, self-introspection, like, it, ooh, just get that away from me. It feels uncomfortable. I don't like it. But, but I really believe that if you'll allow him to, Jesus wants to shine a mirror up against yourself, your, your inner self, and, and to point out all of the things that might seem a little bit yucky. And that's not fun work. But in order for us to be authentically ourselves, the, the self that Jesus created, that God created, we have to do that heart work. Or else we're going to be languishing away on the couch watching television and eating all the good food, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite a friend. Uh, she was actually part of that conversation I was telling you earlier, Emily. Uh, she's going to come up and she's going to read a, a passage for us this morning out of Ephesians. Come on up. Emily's one of our youth here at the church. I'm going to let her tell you more about herself, but um, so excited to have you up here reading the scripture this morning. Well, hi. As Kenneth said, my name is Emily. I have been here since sixth grade. I'm a senior in high school now. Um, I am part of the student leadership team in the youth, and I also serve in fourth and fifth grade classroom during second service. So, yeah. Um, I also plan on after high school, going to Taylor University <laughs> and studying youth ministry and psychology. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you were part of the, the leadership team that led the mission trip last summer. Yeah. Right? So last year, I led a mission trip to Kansas City. Um, we brought home Grandpa, or some of you guys know as Alyssa. Um, we brought her home, and yeah. That's awesome. So. All right. So we'd love for you to, to read the passage for us this morning. If you want to stand for the reading of the word, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. It's page 1161, if you're not there. So Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer go as Gentiles do, walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have, um, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have learned about him and were taught of in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate it. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Man, Paul like, had a way of like punching to the gut, right? So I want to I spend some time just kind of looking at this, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of continue the story from last week and, and look at the transition. Not really transition, but, but what happened from Saul, who um, was God's anointed king and fell, and then kind of the anointing of David and how that came about. So we're going to dig into that in just a little bit. But I thought it was important to kind of set this story up by leaning into the, the truth of, of this passage. And I love what Paul says, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Take off the old self and put on the new self. And as I, as I was thinking about this, I was preparing, I just think that we're in a society, we're in a culture where there's a lot of old self that's still existing. 
I think about different conflict that I hear about in the body. I think about patterns of sin that I hear that people are caught up in. This is what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about the hard work, because like the, the wild thing about this whole Jesus thing is, is that we have been saved from the power of sin, or from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the pow- uh, power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. And so it, it's like in this middle gray area where like for all of our lives and, until Jesus comes back and, and defeats sin forever, we will still be in this balance of, of the power of sin gripping at us and, and seeking to master us and seeking to desire us. And so like in, in the midst of this struggle, like you ever have days where you just wake up and you're like, nope, not doing it, right? Like, ugh, stressful, craziness going on at work, craziness going on in your family. And, and it's the, the, the tug of self because the power of sin is still very alive and present, even for a believer who has given their life to Jesus. I see, like, you see, like, even, even these famous believers, you know, Mother Teresa, who, who like, at the end of her days, you, you read in, in the notes just all the doubt that she had and, and how she wanted to quit sometimes. We're very much still in the orbit of the power of sin, even though we've been saved from the penalty of sin. This is what Paul is saying, is, like, in, in yourself, like, look at all the, all the things you were darkened in your understanding, you're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance and hardness of heart. Like, this is the old self. So some of us, we might have callous hearts in our sin. Some of us, we might, you know, walk in in, in continual sin and, and, and we're looking for a rope, we're looking for a ladder, but, but Jesus is saying like, you trust me? Put your hope in me, put your faith in me. Crucify your flesh and put on the new self. So we're going to dig into this a little bit. And so as believers, I really believe that there are three temptations that, that we can be um, caught in sometimes. And, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. But the first one is, is that we can tend to believe that I am what I do. Stop and think about this. Um, how many of you have ever like sat down um, with a stranger, and what, like, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth after maybe, like, your names? How you doing, mate? <laughs> yeah. What do you do? What do you do for a living? That's a fun question, right? I love to, like, just make stuff up sometimes. <laughs> You'd be amazed, like, <laughs> sometimes, like, b- being a pastor, that, it can be, like, really fun to tell people what I do, or it can be, like, really awkward, like, really fast, like, I had an appointment with this lady not too long ago, and she was, like, cussing like a sailor. And then she was like, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a pastor. And then she, she said, oh, sorry, and cussed more. It was great. What do you do? We, we, we so many times, I, I think, can get wrapped up in, in our vocation or in our stage of life. I'm a parent. I'm a, I mean, like, I, I think about that, like how much, conver- we were at a wedding this last week, and how much conversation at the table like, had to do with our kids, right? Like, my identity fully wrapped up in, in me being a father. And so the temptation here that, that Satan can get us off track in thinking about ourselves is, is that that is my identity. And so, like, I, I like, we can harp on this a little bit, but like how, how often is the first thing out of your mouth when you explain yourself is I'm a child of the most high king. I'm a believer and I've been saved by grace. 
That's like awkward. Like, can you imagine like you sit down at a, a table full of people and it's like, so tell us about yourself. I love Jesus a lot. <laughs> Maybe like, you know, soften it a little bit, but, but like, really think about that. Like, what, what if we led with that in all of life and everything that we do? Like, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus who just happens to shepherd people and teach sometimes, you know? I'm not primarily a, a stay-at-home mom. I'm a follower of Jesus who's been trusted to teach my kids and, and shepherd them and care for them. Whatever that is, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I'm a follower of Jesus who thinks really well and does cool stuff. I don't know what engineers do. <laughs> Just kidding. So it's a great temptation. If, if Satan can get us thinking about what we do more than who we are, that's part of the battle, right? And, and we've, we've lost part of the battle. So the first encouragement here is in your true self and, and who Jesus calls you to be, think about who you are instead of what you do. The second and this is big in our culture, is, is that I am what I have. If you could audit your thoughts and, and think about everything that you've thought through in the last 24 hours, how much of those thoughts had to do with attaining things or maintaining things that you have or getting something new and flashy and shiny? And this can also like, apply back to like, the career. I, I have two beautiful children, right? I have them. But like all this stuff, right? How many of your ads on Facebook or Instagram or whatever are, are, is for stuff? They're really good at that, you know? Like you Google anything and it shows up, right? You even say you want something. We did a test not too long ago with our Alexa. It was fun. We just said paintball gun like a bunch of times. I don't even play paintball. I was just like, we're going to test her. And sure enough, it popped up. It's crazy. We can be so tempted to, to believe I am what I have. I am the shiny car that I drive. I am. It's a sign of success, right? What if we viewed it, I am what I have. I have salvation from Jesus. I have everything I need. Right? We have that promise in Scripture. Right? The Lord shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. When, when we start to think about everything that we lack, we forget everything that we have. Gratitude is, is a key that unlocks beauty in the kingdom of God. And, and it gets our mind off of what we're missing and puts our mind onto what we truly have. It's a, it's a trap, right? The third one here is, the, <laughs> I am what others think. <laughs> have we covered everybody in this room at this point between these three? I think, yeah. This one's big for me, man, like, I, 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 I remember, like, in early conversations with my wife, if we'd have, like, a little disagreement. We didn't have fights, right? If we had a disagreement, like, I would immediately take any words that she said and just, like, apply that to my life as a filter. This is my personality. I know I'm messed up. I'll tell you more about that later. But, like... I would start to own those things and, and claim those things as my own, right? So if, if I failed to, you know, do the dishes at the house and it's like, oh, you never do the dishes, then it's like, well, I'm always a failure. Like I would start to, to live into that. If, if, like, man, like I, I was wild back, like, like even eight years ago, the Lord has done some cool work in me. But like I remember like even as a young youth pastor here and like hearing some of the feedback from parents and it was just like, I will never be good enough to, to train these kids. Like living in the, the words of other people, 
you know? And, and here's the wild thing is, is anybody that you're in conversation with, you never know if that's how they feel also. I want to just like say like, whatever me, like God's done the work. It's fine. But like, be careful what you say, you know, because there are probably people here that, that you have said something to and they have started to live in that in their identity, right? And, and if you are that person, the Lord needs to do work in your heart too. Like you can't live into that. But seriously, like let's speak life, okay? And if you need to speak criticism, do it kindly, right? Not just to me, like everybody. It's cool. But here's the thing, if we live in, in this identity of, of what other people think about us, we are not hearing the voice of the Father who's calling us beloved and telling us what he thinks about us, right? If, if we've got the headphones of the world in, how can we hear anything else that's, that, that's coming from the Father? Like, these are our three great temptations. I want to encourage you, if any of these ring true to your heart, there's some heart work that you need to do to see the Father instead of seeing the world around you. And this, these, these are clues that you might be leaning a little bit too much into the old self. Like Paul said, like, man, you got a hardened heart, right? Like, I had a hardened heart. I, it, was, it was all about performance. It, it wasn't about sitting in the belovedness of God. Like, there was this Maverick City music song that came out, and I had to listen to this line on repeat over and over and over and over and over again. Because, like, it, it showed me who I was in him. And in the line, it says, I don't have to prove a thing because you've already approved of me. And it's like, come on, Kenneth. And, and then it's like, I, I'd hear that line. I don't have to prove a thing. You've already approved of me. And it's like, yeah, but. No. No buts. When we're blocking out the voice of God with any of these three temptations, we will never live our true self the way that he's truly wired us to be in relationship with him. You might hear static of him. We will never truly live into who he has made us to be. So I want to continue on, and we're going we're to look just briefly at this idea of the false self. Brian set this up for us last week. Our false self, it's a personality that we project to God and to others to impress, survive, avoid exposure, or get our way. This false self is the, is the false persona that, that you put on in front of other people. You put on in front of God. Sometimes we put on our false self to ourselves. And this is exactly what, what Paul is saying. Like, get, get that junk out of the way. Sweep it under the... You, you're a new self. This is what Pete Scazzaro in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality says about the false self. At times, our false self has become such a part of who we are that we don't even realize it. Right? How many times have, have you gone on autopilot and it's like, yeah, this is just who I am? Or like something come, came out of your mouth and it's like, yeah, this is just what I do. And then, then you're like, I never even did that in my life. Like, what? why am I lying about that? It's the false self. It, it becomes so ingrained in who we are that, that sometimes we don't see the truth in our hearts and in our lives, the work that God wants to do. And so um, through psychology, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'll probably... Butcher, butcher this. So, like, if, if you're a psychologist, be kind to me, okay? Like, I, I just like the idea a lot. <laughs> but here's the deal. Um, I want to look at this concept of differentiation. And it, this is where I'm going to dig into a little bit about myself before we dig into David's story, right? It, is different, differentiation is a concept that has absolutely changed my life. And it, it's a person's capacity to define his or her own life's goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them.
So I can hold space for myself, and I can hold space for your opinions and for the, the things that you put on me, your expectations, all of these things, but I don't have to live into those things. I can, I have a high, like if I have a high level of differentiation, I can hold space in my bubble right here and you can hold space in your bubble right here and those don't have to bleed over unless I allow them to, right? And so in our lives, a lot of times I think like this, this idea of differentiation is, is so important because we can start to live into things that aren't truth. We can live into other people's expectations of us. We can live into the lies that the enemy puts on us. We need to have differentiation from the enemy, from our flesh, from the world around us. All three of those things are liars. Like the, the ancient monks, they said that those are the three enemies to our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to do everything we can to attack those things and, and keep them separate from who God has called us to be. Another way of saying differentiation is, is knowing and living into who I am and who I am not. Like, I, I've talked about this before. You, like, you want me to build an Excel spreadsheet? Like, I probably could do it, but like, I know someone who can do it better. You know, so I need one built. I'm like, hey, can you help me out with this? Right? That's like a small example, but like this idea of differentiation is, is being able to hold space for myself in the truth of who God has called me to be. And I wanted to, just we're kind of talking about this concept a little bit, I wanted to like just get a little bit real. Is that okay? Um, <clears throat> I feel a little, I'm just be really honest, I feel a little anxious sharing some of this, but I, I just really feel um, if we want to have vulnerability here, we, we need to lead with vulnerability from here. Um, and so, you know, like, this concept of differentiation, how, how it's really impacted me, it came about like kind of a, a, as a whirlwind. <laughs> so like three years ago, it was four, four years, I don't know, four years ago, almost four years ago, um, I was the youth pastor still, and I've been approached um, to maybe think about moving into the new position that I'm in right now. I was in grad school. Um, I had a daughter who, um, bless her heart, for four or five months had colic, and um, I remember, like, just the weight of how all of those things felt at once, and um, like specifically the colic, though, it, it really, like, it, it, it messed me up. And, like, I wasn't trusting God the way that I needed to. I was, uh, I was living in, in my false self. I was living in I was trying to bootstrap it, and, and um, I fell into just really heavy depression, walking through some, some anxiety and, and different things, and, and even in the midst of that, there, there were different things that were happening in the student ministry where like, I felt like I couldn't juggle all the balls that I needed to, and so like, I, I let people down. Um, and like reckoning with that, like I, when I was a youth pastor, I just want to be so available and I want to, I want to care so deeply and I want to, I want these students to know how much I love them. And then it's like, I've got this baby that just won't stop. And it was impacting Monica. And, and there were a lot of just dark times, you know, and it, it, I don't think it was until, so like made this transition and, and walked through all of these things and, and just this darkness 
just rested on me. And, and the weight of expectations, the weight of every email that would come in, it was just like a, just a dart at my heart. Like even the good things, like I would see people's names pop up and just be like, oh gosh. Like before I even read a message, just like, oh. I remember like we were at small group, like, and this was like six months later. Like I, I had moved into the new role. I had, you know, we, all these, I had finished grad school and, and Lainey wasn't quite as crazy. She's still wild. Um, but I remember we were at a small group meeting at um, one of our small group members' house and I remember just, just breaking down and I lost it. <clears throat> I mean, I was a puddle. It's like I, I couldn't wear it anymore. And like literally, like right then and there, like I, I got on my phone and found a counselor. Like I, like I gotta, gotta find somebody to talk to about this stuff. You know, I gotta, gotta figure out. And and went to counseling for a while, like a long time, like two years, just to to try to unwrap, like what was happening in my life. And I'm being honest, like there, there's still moments where like I, I can tend towards depressive tendencies, right? Like you, you feel the highs high and the lows low, and. The interesting thing in the midst of all of this was, was that my counselor, he taught me how to hold space. Like, and, and this was the wild thing in my head, right? Is, is I have this daughter who I want to be the best father for. I want to raise her in the way that she should go. And also, like, I need to hold space from her, right? And I have this wife that I love and I care for, but I can't live into her expectations either. I need to, I need to live into the expectation that God has for me. So I like this differentiation concept. It's like, I, I need to know who I am and I need to know who I'm not. And who I am, I'm a beloved son of the Father. Who I am, I'm saved and given grace. Because I mean, like outside of that, like I wouldn't be here. Right? Like I... I I could have walked out the door easily and just, just sailed off into the night, right? It's all about the gospel. And, and this is what I need you to know. And as we keep on rubbing up against like the, the hardships of the world and, and the sin that so easily entangles us, is, is we've got to be people who are preaching the gospel to ourselves. What do I mean by that? So in, this is what I had to learn to do in the midst of this depression, in the midst of the darkest nights that I could imagine, sitting with a screaming baby. <laughs> I had to preach the gospel to myself. What does that mean? Let, let, let's track it back. I'm, I'm a deeply sinful person. I'm broken, and I'm in need of a Savior. But in my brokenness, Jesus, you came. You lived a perfect life. You died a death on a cross. You died for my sins. You, d- you died for the things that I am feeling right now so I can be whole in you. You gave me a new self, a new mind. You looked at me and instead of broken and instead of depressed and instead of barely holding it together, you looked at me and you said that I am called, that I'm chosen, that I have a new name. That's the gospel. That in our brokenness, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, fully God and fully man, to die for our sins so that we could have new life today and new life forever. It's like, why, why, why do we get so wrapped around the axle about, like, all of these things in our life? We have this, this beautiful gift of salvation and, and imputed righteousness that he puts on us. 
because we're deeply tied to the world. All the fear, all the anxiety, man, God's speaking a better word over each and every one of us. And so sometimes that preaching the gospel of myself, it happened like by the minute, right? I would pray it. I'd feel better for two seconds. Then it's like, ooh, crushing dread. Okay, let's do it again. You and me, Jesus, right? <laughs> Here's the gospel for myself that I don't need to live in this depression. And I understand, like, I'm, I want to be very clear and very careful. I understand that there, there are levels of depression. There's, there's clinical depression. There's, there's depressive feelings, right? So if, if you are clinically depressed, like, I'm not saying snap out of it. I'm not saying gospel it away. There, there are some things that you need a counselor and you need some medication. Sorry if you don't agree with me. You can send me an email. I might feel anxious about it. That's fine. We can talk about it. But, like, I, I believe, like, I, I love Jesus and I love my counselor too, you know? And so in the midst of that, like, please don't, don't ever hear me say, like, if you've got clinical depression, just wish it away. It's not going to, like, I think you, you need to get help, right, in the best way possible. So, like, in, in my state where I was, it was very much a thing that, that I just needed Jesus, okay? And, and where I am now, when I feel those things, I just need Jesus, okay? And, like, in the midst of in, any of those things that you're walking through, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of all of these things, you just need Jesus. Just, just, he speaks a better word. So I want to look at David. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've seen Saul, like last week we saw he was this wicked king and God took his Holy Spirit away from him. And so I'm not going to read the whole passage because it'll take a whole long time, but you guys you ever hear the story of David and Goliath? <laughs> right? Right before that, I'm going to kind of give you some paraphrasing here. Right before that, um, you know, God had taken the Spirit away and said that he... he um, regretted that he made Saul king. And so uh, what ends up happening is Samuel um, comes to, to Jesse and he's like, hey, do you have sons? I think I'm supposed to come here and one of them's going to be king. And it's almost like this, uh, you guys remember like Cinderella at the end where like the prince is like trying to put the shoe on, you know? It's almost like this happens, like Jesse's like, well, look at this son. He's tall and strapping. And he's like, no, no, mm -mm. He parades the sons in front of Samuel. He's like, nope, none of these. Do you have any more sons? He's like, yeah. You've got David. He's weird. <laughs> he's hanging out with the sheep. Um, you check him out if you want. He's like, yeah, I'll I'm not even going to sit down. I'm going to stand here until he gets here. So go call for him. David comes and is anointed king. And it, like, I, I love, <laughs> this is so cool. And, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. That's just, oh, man. He was anointed to be king. And so then what happens is, and like I said, we're, we're big time paraphrasing here. We, we see this battle and there's this thing that would happen sometimes instead of like killing everybody, they would do like this combat by champion. Have you guys heard of this concept? So it'd be like the armies would line up. If you ever uh, saw the movie Troy, that's what happened in Troy, right? The armies would line up and they would send out one champion from each rank and which, whichever one of those champions won, that, that army won. So it's like a way of minimizing casualties, and then they would go into slavery and all this. So, so Goliath, this big dude, um, super tall, massive, carried a big spear, walks out. He's really scary. Walks out, and he's like, hey, you Israelites are garbage, and the God that you worship is garbage. And so if anyone's brave enough to come and fight me, I'll prove it to you. 
right? So this, he, he did this for 40 days, okay? He would go out and, and yell really loud across to the Israelite army that was for some reason also sitting there for 40 days. And just like, you guys are garbage. You're God's garbage. I'll fight you. And everyone's just like, what are we going to do about this guy? Like, he's a pest. Don't like him at all. He's insulting God. Like, is there anybody that's going to fight this dude? And so, like, they're all looking around like, I don't know. And so David is bringing food to his brothers who are in the army. And, and he hears Goliath. He's like, what did that dude say about my God? Right? And he's like, okay, so what, what? And this is what's funny is you still see a little bit of, like, the humanness in this story, right? He's like, so, so if somebody kills him, what, what's going to happen? Like, we get some gold or something? Right? Do I, get, do I get reward? And they're like, yeah, like, so I'll even give you his daughter, man. Like, it's going to be cool. And so <laughs> I, like, just tell Bible stories sometimes. It's, like, fun. And so in the midst of this, David's like, I'll fight him. I don't care. Right? And, like, we know, like, David is a small dude. Like, his small stature wouldn't have thought to have been king. And he's like, I'll fight the dude. And so, you know, Saul's like, come here, get my armor. We'll send you out there. Hope we don't go into slavery cool. And so David like puts on all this heavy armor, right? And it doesn't fit him. He's like, I can't fight in this. <laughs> and it was be- like the best part. He's like, give me some rocks. I got a slingshot. It wasn't really a slingshot. It's this cool thing. Like I got to shoot one at VBS a few years ago. Almost killed a few people. <laughs> so in the midst of this, I mean, and I'm very much paraphrasing here, but he takes his, takes the rocks. He, he trusts God and he goes out and flings a rock and hits Goliath in the head I always thought, like, when I was a kid, like, that's what killed him. Pretty gruesome. Like, he goes and gets Goliath's own sword and cuts his head off with it. It's great. Very Game of Thrones. So he, he beats him. And, like, I mean, we see, like, the trajectory of David's life, like, start to move from that point. But I want to give us four points about what made David incredible. Okay, and not really, but I mean, like what what we see in the life of David that that gives us hope for our lives and our true self. So first and foremost, the Lord's favor was upon him. I I just read that to you like a moment ago, but he knew he knew his true self in the eyes of God. His favor was upon him. We see that in first Samuel 16, 11 through 13 is what it says. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Do you know that if you are a believer, the Spirit of God has rushed on you. Is that like, um, I know. It's pretty cool. I, thanks, God. Appreciate it. You guys Dutch or something? The, if, if you, I'm sorry. I, I love it. I'm part Dutch. I don't, I don't know. If you are a believer in Jesus, the Spirit of God has rushed on you. He lives in you. Like, He lives in you. His favor rests upon you. 
Like, I mean, come on, man. Like, how, how much are we going to go through our lives living defeated and living downcast when the, the literal spirit of God lives inside of me? It's burning up inside of me. It's pointing me in the direction I need to go. It's giving me the words that I need to speak. So why should I live in fear? The, the, the favor of God rests on my life. And this isn't like some name it and claim it, like prosperity gospel junk. Get that garbage out of here. What this is, is that the spirit of God is directing me and moving me where I need to go and showing me who I am. The spirit of God has rushed onto you and lives in you. And when you're in doubt, you know what you got to do? Holy Spirit, what should I do? (laughs) It's cool. It takes like all of, all of like the weight off of myself and says like, this is God's. He's got me. That's hard, right? We don't want to. We don't want to relinquish control. That's our old self. It's the false self that, that's grasping for control in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is just saying, "Hey, cut that out, man. My favor is on you." The second thing David had, the Lord had prepared him in the secret places. So not only was the spirit of God on him, the Lord had already prepared his heart and his mind. And he looked at Goliath. He was like, "What a big doofus! Like I just totally beat this dude, right?" We we see that. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm like a little worked up. In, in 1 Samuel 17, this is what it says. I gotta get there. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> David's bad to the bone, man. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Good night. The Lord had already prepared him in the secret places when he's tending the sheep, and and he's sitting there and all these bears and lions. How many bears and lions were there? He grabbed him by the beard and just took him out, man. The, the, the Lord, his spirit already rested on David, and, and he was doing the work in the quiet places. He was prepared. The Lord had already righted his heart. He was ready. He was ready to rock and roll, man. Has the Lord prepared your heart in the quiet places? Do you need to go to the quiet places for some preparation? Yes, you do. I, I don't care how much you have, you need to, right? If you were there this morning, you probably need to go again today. We need to, we need to breathe in the work of the Lord in our hearts and in our minds. And also, next time you have a problem, like, just call it an uncircumcised Philistine. That's such a good insult. <laughs> Get out of my face, you uncircumcised. Don't tell a person that. That would be rude. <laughs> the third thing here is David had a high level of differentiation, okay? He, he knew who he was and who he wasn't. I'm not going to read the passage, but, but this is what I'm talking about here is when Saul put his armor on him, David's like, nah, nah, I know who I am. I know how I can fight. I know what it takes to grab the beard of a lion and kill it, and it's not this stupid armor. I know what I need. I know who I am, and I know who I'm not. Do you know who you are and who you're not? Do you want to know how you find out? Ask Jesus. <laughs> this is like really simple. Just, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. There's a lot to work through, but it's just Jesus, show me who I am. Show me who you've created me to be and show me who I'm not. That frees you up from so much stuff. 
I'm telling, and, and to keep boundaries and, and to be able to say like, no, nah, and not in a cop-out way, but like, I, I know I'm not wired that way, so I probably should let someone else do it. It's good. The fourth here is that David held the Lord above all else. We see this throughout the passage m- multiple times is, is, is David, like the, the whole reason he wanted to fight Goliath is because he kept on trashing the name of God. Like he got to the battle line. He was like, who is, who is this talking about my God this way? Right? And then even when he faced Goliath, he had some like strong words, man. He's what he said. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. You see, like, there, there is nothing, not a giant man with a heavy spear, nothing that could deter David from knowing the truth of who God was. And is that true of you? In your, in your true self, yeah, absolutely. But in the dark of the night, in the quiet, when the doubts start to creep in and the fears start to rear their heads, is, is that... Are you looking at your enemy and saying like, man, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing that God can't accomplish in me. Do you have that high of a regard for the Lord? That much reverence for for who he is. That the voices that start to lie to you about him, that you shut those down. That the people in your life that start to lie about him, that you shut them down too. And I don't mean like be a jerk, but like, whoa, that's my God. Don't call him a Philistine. Like, man, where's our reverence for the Lord in the midst of this? So, so in all of these things, like, these are steps for us, right? The Spirit's already in us. His favor's upon us. Are we allowing him to prepare us in the secret places? Do we have that level of differentiation to know who we are and who we're not? And do we hold the Lord above everything else in our lives? This is the hard work of like checking for idols. Like I want to encourage you, go on an idol hunt in your life. What do I mean by that? An idol is anything that you put into the place that God should be. Anything. Go on an idol hunt. My wife started doing this minimalism stuff in our house this last week. Oh, it was terrifying. (laughs) Hey, where did my coffee mug go? I don't know. Dude, our neighbor sent it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my wife gave away coffee cups with our faces on it. My neighbor <laughs> sent us a picture of drinking coffee out of a coffee mug with our faces on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so just having coffee with the prices. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. What does that look like in your life? Like, what, what does it look like to declutter the idols? You know? Take them systematically out and say, dude, what, what is this in me that, that wants to worship this thing instead of God? God, what do you think about that? You hate it? Okay, cool. Right? You won't hate your children, you know, but like sometimes we worship our children. Sometimes we worship our spouse. What does it look like to move it back down on the shelf? Not out of your life, but back down on the shelf. Or if it is a thing that needs to leave, like, see ya. I'm going to hold the Lord above all else. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some things to think about. We're going to, um, the band's going to come back out and play some pretty music. 
Um, but I want you to spend some time in response. They're going to just kind of layer some stuff. It's going to be pretty. Um, but I, here's, here's kind of four, four things you might consider, okay? First and foremost, pay attention to your interior through silence and solitude. This is scary for some people. If I'm alone in my thoughts and it's quiet, what am I going to see? Probably what God wants you to. You should try it. If you haven't done silence and solitude, start small, like three minutes. It, it'll feel like 30 but then, like, you'll get addicted to it. It's so good. Second, find, a tr find trusted companions. Find people that you can share your story with that can be real. If it hadn't been for my small group on a couch, like, I, I don't know if I ever would have gotten real with that stuff, right? It took people to dig in and ask me deep and hard questions that I needed to hear. Third, move out of your comfort zone. What, <laughs> what does it look like to just take a step, Right? You can think, I mean, going back to the minimalism thing, you can think I want to be a minimalist. I, oh, this sounds great. I watched Marie Kondo. She's awesome. I can want to be a minimalist, but then all of a sudden, like, until you step out of your comfort zone, it just won't ever happen, right? So in your life, in, in the idols, in, in the battles you need to face, what does it mean to trust God and move out of your comfort zone and, and take a step that he's directing you in? And fourth, just pray for courage. Lord, will you help me to do this work of seeing my true self and, and kicking my false self to the curb? Paul had, like, Man, he was serious about that. Don't be hard-hearted. Walk in the righteousness that God has given you. So I'm going to give us just a little bit of time to reflect on this, and then we're going we're gonna to sing one more song. Love you guys.